Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another bonus episode of Regarding Dracula. And thank you again to our Seed and Spark supporters who made these bonus episodes possible. I am here with the one and only Matt Kirkland. Uh, I, would you call yourself a founder of Dracula Daily? The person who accidentally started it. The instigator? The, the instigator. Oh, I like that. Instigator. Yes. Coming yes. to you actually in the same room at the beautiful Boulder Public Library because Matt is on tour promoting uh, the Dracula Daily book. That's right. That's yeah. very exciting. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks so much. This yeah. isn't the first time you've published a book, though. It's the first time I've published it with such an audience who's ready. Ah. The other things I've done have been self-publishing where I became the publisher myself. Yeah, I actually would love to talk about this. You've done yep. a lot of projects. Let's see. The publishing that you're talking about is you've cataloged the works of a, a little-known novelist named Charles Williams, mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. I believe was one of the Inklings, right? He was. He So, British guy, 20th century, lived in Oxford at the same time as C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, and was in that same group of uh, writers who would workshop their stuff together and influence each other quite a bit. And they called themselves the Inklings. The Inklings, I, yes. I, I find yes. right. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, good. Of course, yes. Uh, you've also done uh, Local Crush, which is a traveling penny crush machine that goes around your hometown. Yes, that one we just officially launched in August, and so it's at its second location now. Oh, yeah. What? Do you, who designs the pennies? It's a it's a combination of myself and the hosting store. So the idea of Local Crush is it's a way to celebrate our our kind of hometown favorite retail establishments, stores, things like that in a way that a tourist trap gets uh, celebrated. So we worked with each store, they will host the penny press for one month. And while it's there, you can get a souvenir penny that showcases that store. That's so cool. So each penny design is a little bit of back and forth with the store, and then I just help them execute. Yep. I am very curious about dumb cuneiform. Oh, dumb cuneiform is a one of my favorites, <laughs> really. The idea is that you can send me a short message and I will inscribe it into clay on a small tablet in old Persian cuneiform, kind of, and then ship it to you in the mail. It's called dumb cuneiform because I was reading a book of translated cuneiform tablets and I thought, this is not very interesting. This is like someone's dumb Twitter account accidentally got archived. <laughs> and then I thought, man, it would be funny if you could just uh, have a service where you send a stupid tweet to a service and they mail you back a cuneiform tablet, so that's what I do. That's the, yeah. beca you became the service. Yes. In addition to cataloging the works of Charles Williams, you've also done work to document the work of sculptor. I did Tillman Tillman Riemann Schneider. Tillman yeah. Riemann Schneider. I am not a stickler for pronunciation of anything, so that's just my first guess. Yes, but that's the one I stick with. Okay. I don't speak German, so I'll trust you. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. So you, you've taken apart children's toys to look at their robotic innards? Yes. What's that about? <laughs> so my early training, what I went to actual school for was product design. So that's an industrial designer, a real maker of physical things in a factory. Mm -hmm. So I've always had an interest in how stuff really works on the inside, even though I'm not an engineer and don't really know anything. So it really started when my sister-in-law got a tickle me Elmo. And I thought, what is that thing doing on the inside? <laughs> uh, so I decided to go to thrift stores, buy articulated children's toys. So like a stuffed animal that can walk and talk and sing or something like that. And just rip off all of its skin and stuffing and see what kind of horrifying secret robot was underneath. <laughs> and then I made a web page that does a little before and after of that, so you see the the fluffy, friendly outside, and then the terrifying robot that's lurking on the inside. 
I've seen some of these pictures. They are, in fact, horrifying. Yes. You also do your own art and design work on top of all of that. I, I have to ask if all of these projects have a common thread. I Mostly, it's just whatever I'm interested in at the time. I think there is kind of a common thread of Matt's into something that's a little bit historical or a little bit unknown, and I want to find a way to share it with people. And my way of sharing is to make something stupid and put it on the internet. <laughs> but I think that's it. I yeah. think you have a lot in common with uh, audio drama creators specifically. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. Is there, do you, do you have a feeling when you start a project that it's like you know it's going to be good or you know it's going to stick? No, no, not a chance. So my real job is uh, um, I have a software development consultancy. So everything we do is for clients. And so all my daily job is trying to please real people. And sometimes that's the clients or the organizations. Sometimes that's the end users. Hopefully all the time it's the end users. <laughs> so all my side projects are things where the only judge of if it's good or if it's going to work is me. So all my side projects for fun are just like, Matt thinks this is funny. That's the only <laughs> that's the only rubric. Matt, Matt enjoys this. Yeah, I see like a, a tenor of in, uh, exploration. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to learn new things. I like to explore. But yeah, when it comes down to these side projects, yeah, the only the only way I judge it is, am I learning something interesting? And do I think this is funny or fun or beautiful or interesting or something like that? That's beautiful. I, I also like with all of these projects that you do on top of all of that, you are a prolific reader. You list all of the books that you've read on your blog, which I went back and I counted, and it looks like you're up to 34 this year. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, that's impressive. I haven't read 34 books this year. Well, I'm not, I'm maybe not a super attentive reader, which is why I started a website to kind of track them. And actually, it's really, it basically just works like Goodreads, except for I'm the only user. Uh, so another theme of like this, this only exists because Matt wants it to be there. Yeah, but I, I love reading. It is my like main you know, form of entertainment. Outside of like starting a new project. Yes, sure. That too. <laughs> Absolutely. What is it that you like to read? It, it looked like just a cursory glance over your blog that mm -hmm. there was a really wide variety of, of genres and topics. Yeah. Uh, my real kind of love that I go back to is really like 19th century uh, British stuff. Like I love Charles Dickens. I've gotten very obsessed with Anthony Trollope, I think is how you say his name, <laughs> which I've read a lot, and I should learn how to say his name. I love the Russian writers of that time period. I think those are really fun. But I also, I love um, sci-fi for the kind of ideas that are in sci-fi. And it's hard to turn down a fantasy novel when it comes really highly recommended. And I really love memoirs of exploration where the explorer comes off looking like kind of a jerk. <laughs> like self-written memoirs. Yes. Yeah. So it's so basically like you know, any any British person from you know, 150 years ago and their memoir of exploring someplace, you know, they always come off like not not very respectable it, people. Boy, are you on the right podcast for appreciating Victorian novels? Yes, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you've told this story before, but we'd love it if you'd tell why you picked up Dracula in 2020. Oh, absolutely. So in 2020, like a lot of people, I was spending a lot of extra time at home um, and I had limited access to my local library. So I was just reading my own bookshelves, my own bookshelves a lot, and I picked up Dracula. I had an old copy of Dracula that I had clearly read before but didn't remember very well. It must have been a decade or more. 
And so I just I picked that up. It didn't have a thematic something. I just thought, oh, look, here's a book. I remember this being good. I don't really remember a lot of details about it. I'm going to pick it up and go through it again. Is like gothic horror something that you usually like read? Um, I enjoy it, but I don't think I've really even read a lot of it. Yeah. Why do you think that Dracula is catching on now? Hmm. My, I have no idea why now. The, I think we always, we have a big space in our culture for vampire stories. Mm-hmm. And we know, and Dracula is the, the vampire, right? Uh, so everyone knows Dracula as a character and all the permutations of Dracula that have happened. It's always a great time to read Dracula, um, <laughs> especially if it's if it's new to you. But I think my only guess is it's pervasiveness in culture just makes space for it all the time. It fits right into its own niche. It does. It is. Yeah, it is its own niche. Yeah. All right. So do you remember where you were when the idea occurred to you, hey, this would make a great email newsletter? Oh, absolutely. I was sitting on my couch upstairs in the living room. I was just talking about the book with my daughter, Trudy. Because we were uh, not reading it together, but I was recapping the story for her as I went. Trudy loves stories, loves audiobooks, loves narrative podcasts, and she loves for me to recap books as I read through them. So she will persistently ask, hey, Dad, what's happening in the thing you're reading right now? Uh-huh. So that summer it was, hey, Dad, what's happening in Dracula? And we realized that we were syncing up pretty close with the dates in the book and thought, oh, man, wouldn't it be fun if you could, I could slow down or speed up and sync up with the characters and then read this in real time as it happens to the characters. And then I kind of looked, flipped through the book and thought, well, it's not told strictly chronologically. It's, it would take a lot of bookmarks and calendaring and kind of a hassle to really do this. (laughs) I thought what would be great is if someone could just email me the right parts on the right day. So I didn't have to think about it. I could just read it. And then once I had that idea, I thought, well, Okay, I'm definitely going to have to do this project. Once again, it's a project yes. for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's wonderful. Yep. How long did it take you to put together? Not long. The The first, I had the idea kind of bookmarked, and I did the whole thing on a weekend uh, in January 2021. So it was a pretty quick setup. It was finding a text. Uh, I used the Gutenberg edition, chopped it up into its appropriate days, set up the sub stack, kind of made my one goofy vampire drawing. Uh, and, and that was it. It was mostly mostly done in about the span of a weekend. All right. Yeah. So you put a post on your blog after the end of the first year saying mm. you had got, what was it, 1,600 subscribers to the newsletter in yeah. 2021. Incredible. Imagine starting a book club and 1,600 people show up. For real. What, a, what an outrageous success. You know. Okay. And then in 2022. <laughs> it was different in 2022. Tumblr yes. and Twitter got a hold of it. Yes. What was that experience like for you? It was one of those things where... You know, I've had a few projects go sort of minorly viral, and it and you realize I haven't done anything here. It just struck a chord with people. There's nothing to do but enjoy it happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just very, very, very fun. I was at a baseball game and just kept in my uh, lap pulling on my phone and refreshing the subscriber count on Substack and just kind of like elbowing the people next to me. Like, <laughs> uh, that's another thousand people. Uh, that's another thousand people. <laughs> Amazing. So it was really kind of just surfing the wave. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And then tell me about how the idea occurred to not only tell Dracula Daily as a book in chronological order, but also Mm -hmm. annotate it with people's thoughts in this giant thousand person book club. Yeah. Well, in 2022, it was um, 
there was a big response on social media, most of that on Tumblr and Twitter, um, although it kind of spread through every platform there is. Mm. And it was so fun. Lots of people reached out and said, hey, how can we support the project? Are you going to have merch? Are you going to take donations or something? And none of that just felt like, like yes, I could make a T-shirt, but like, what's, what's the point of a T-shirt besides it's fun, you know? And then I was thinking about like, it's, this is such a, an incredible experience, but so transient of just looking at, you know, the tags on Tumblr, that's, you got to sort of be doing that in real time to catch it. And it's pretty hard to go back and like understand, you know, experience that wave again. Yes, exactly. So just thinking about, is there a way to, to preserve or replicate this experience a little bit? Um, that led to the idea of the book of, well, you know, like we could print out the emails more or less um, in the same order. So you can kind of have the same experience of subscribing to Dracula Daily, but without getting all the emails in your inbox or maybe feeling that horrible feeling of feeling behind on your email and then have some commentary on the side. So I just sent out a, a feeler to people of, you know, would people be open to being quoted or share their artwork or things like that? And got a, a incredible response. Yeah. Do you have a favorite meme that has resulted oh, from oh. Dracula Daily? There's so many. There's so many. <laughs> no, I don't. I, it's so impossible to choose. Uh, you know, the first day is when paprika memes start because that's when it becomes oh, yeah. a thing. You know, and I loved how that became a recurring thing. So anytime something else happened, like people tried to reach back and like bring in a paprika joke forward <laughs> into the story. Like, I love that. I love every I love every meme and every drawing that makes Dracula himself look like an asshole. Because uh, that's my favorite thing about the way people on Tumblr especially interpreted and read Dracula together. Because Dracula in a lot of culture is this like, suave, cool, sexy vampire. Yes, he's going to murder people, but he's going to do it in such a way that he's like the hero, right? A very romantic Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Tumblr was having zero of this. <laughs> uh, this Dracula, the one in the actual text, is a jerk who is gaslighting, abusing, stalking, murdering, uh, and and nobody was rooting for Dracula at all. So every, every meme that makes fun of Dracula uh, warms my little heart. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you suffer from, I feel like a lot of book lovers suffer from, that's not like the book. Mm, mm. Uh, do, do, you, do you find yourself thinking that when you like see adaptations? In adaptations of, of classic things, yes. Because it's, it's not that I'm a stickler for doing things right or following the rules. But if you've engaged in reading a book, there's probably something in there that like responded to you mm -hmm. and seeing that thing represented wrong hurts. Um, maybe it's not a big hurt, but you know, like you have some way where you like this character or, you know, this chain of events, you know, was meaningful to you. And when it's different, you think, Oh, but that's, you missed this part that makes the thing good. I think that's the only part that I mind about it in general. I love weird, wild adaptations of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Dracula adaptation then? Oof. Mm, I I don't have really a favorite. No, the I mean I I like all the ways Dracula gets leaked into popular culture. Not leaked, just you know shared and evolves and things. I mean my favorite vampire is for sure the Count from Sesame Street. Oh well, yeah. obviously. And he's and he's you know in a direct line where he's got the cape, he's got the you know widow's peak, like he's you know like the Muppet Bela Lugosi. You know. <laughs> 
He's my favorite. That's beautiful. So Dracula's perfect for this kind of uh, epistolary novel in your mm-hmm. inbox kind of format. Yeah. And it spawned a lot of like imitators or maybe appreciators of the format. You yes, have like yes. letters from Watson. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally subscribe to Whale Weekly. Oh, same, same. Yes, yeah. got a new one today. Yep. Why did Dracula catch on in a way that none of these others did? I think Dracula is just suited really well for it in a couple along a couple of axes. So first it's got cultural cachet. Like we know Dracula the character, we you know, we know vampire stories. Second, there's a lot of variety in um, the missives that you get. So you get different characters writing in with their viewpoints. A lot of them are short, so you can get a, a small dose. So some of the books that people have tried to adapt for this format just aren't natural fits. Like um, Will Weekly's doing a great adaptation where they're doing a ton of research and planning and trying to make like, all right, how does Moby Dick get told in real time? I mean, Dracula, you've got long sections too. But it's easy because I'm, I'm just posting them on the dates that's already in the text. But those are my only guesses. Mm. I think it's all fun. And I love <laughs> and I love like reading serially. I think it's a riot. But yeah. Beautiful. I could say for the record, I am a super fan of every classic novel serialization that's happening. There's like there's no part of me that's uh, you know, envious or feels left out or anything. Like I'm I 200% endorse every one of these projects. Well, but very, very, uh, maybe like self-centeredly, I would like to know what went through your mind when Tal approached you with the idea of making this into an audio drama. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I got a Tal email and said, hey, we're thinking about doing this audio drama. Here's our credentials. We're going to do a good job. What do you think? And I first just thought, it's so nice to ask me. Because I didn't write Dracula. <laughs> no one needs my consent or permission or approval to well, do something. We couldn't get a hold of Bram Stoker. So. Okay. Oh well, you know, <laughs> you know, talk to my psychic. Got to hold the séance in the right way. <laughs> um, so mostly, I just felt complimented, and then I got excited because I like audio dramas and I love podcasts. I thought, wouldn't that be so cool? Yeah, I loved it. That's wonderful. Uh, do you find that like? Uh, as a person who reads, what is it about books that's important to you? It's a pretty abstract question, mm, but like, mm, mm. yeah. Um, there's so many things. Uh, I think in some way I'm still kind of entranced by the magic of someone having a thought and writing it down, and then it can travel across time and space, and then I can have that same thought. Or, you know, maybe depending on your, like, literary th- theory, you know, a similar or related thought. Um <laughs> But that's that's why I like was looking back at cuneiform tablets because I was like, what's the oldest thing where I can have this connection with like another human, mm-hmm. um, where they can they can have this idea and then try and communicate it across like space and time to me. I love that. I love the imaginative worlds of it. Like I just like everybody, you know, like you can just kind of fall into a good book and disappear, and you're you're there, and you forget where you are in physical space, and you look up, and you don't know what time it is, or how long you've been in that room, or which room you're in in the first place. You know, I love that. Yeah, reading is great. There's there's a lot to like. Yeah. Given the number of books that you have read, it might be a cruel question to ask, mm. but do you have favorites? I have favorites. In that I have books that I come back to. Well, I have books that I just loved, and I have books that I reread frequently. Yeah, absolutely. And I have books that I hate, and I have books that I don't finish. And I'm a stickler. I'm not a stickler. Uh, I am not a stickler for finishing books. I have no obligation to like finish a book I'm not enjoying. 
whether it's like, I think it sucks or it's not right for me at that time, anything like that. But yeah. What are the books you find yourself returning to? I love Moby Dick. Uh, it's a, it's really like a top tier favorite. And I come back to that a lot because it's just enjoyable. I have a couple of books that are sort of seasonal for me. Like I usually go back to Charles Dickens's Pickwick papers around Christmas. I don't know why that feels like a Christmas book to me. Um, but I tend to like, just, I don't know, it feels Christmassy to me. Something about Dickens and Christmas. Yes. Well, sure. The Dickens thing. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, that's totally it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's just kind of a silly, like cheerful one in a way that, you know, you don't get bogged down in like being, being an oppressed orphan or something, you know, <laughs> and then some books that, uh, are just so fun. Like I love, uh, Susanna Clark's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, um, like that's great. And that's one of those books where you just wish it was, you know, 4,000 pages longer, um, even though it's already a thousand pages. It's right? a brick. Yes, it's a brick for sure. <laughs> um, but that's one where, you know, like going back to my own shelves, think, oh, yeah, that'd be fun to reread. Oh, that yeah. one especially is very much written in the style of the, those 19th century novels, too. Yes, yes. It's very like pastiche of, of that era in, a, in, I think, a really lovely way. Yeah. What is it about the language of those not like what what draws you in about that time period? I don't I don't know. I don't have any like affection for the like politics or costuming of the era or anything like that. I think it feels like a generous way to write for a reader in that the sentences can be so complicated. They can have these like jokes that have like paragraph long payoffs at the end and they feel yeah, it feels like there's a lot of work from the author that's set up as a gift to me as a reader in that kind of language. I might be projecting there. Maybe that's just how they all spoke in daily life, but it feels, it just feels like effort. Like, man, Charles Dickens put a lot of work into these and they're great. I um, like the word that you, that you use the word generous. I feel that way about real writers that there are, there are books where you, there are books where you think this person tried their best and they put all they had on the page. And then there are books where you think, this person gave me a gift. And I don't know how the difference is, but there's ones where I just like, I have to put it down and like write a thank you note. I don't actually do that and I should, but you know, yes. Thank you notes to, to authors living and dead. Yes, right. It's something I've considered that I should, I should do more of. But. <laughs> well, that actually leads me into the next question, which is, do you have a next project in mind? What's next? I have a couple of things in the works, nothing that directly follows on from Dracula Daily. Like there's no kind of like natural step two to this. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of connecting threads between your projects. That's true. Yeah. And partly because they only exist to just satisfy my own curiosity or because I think they're fun. Trudy and I are working on an interactive story that might get presents it in some kind of like a transmedia format. I don't want to give away too much until we do it. Uh, my son and I are working on a climate related advocacy thing uh, that we'll see if we can get that across the finish line. Um, but my big goal for 2023 was to stop starting new projects. Uh, <laughs> how's that so going just, for you? Just this year. Oh, badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very badly. I thought with the with the book coming out, I knew I wanted to like do things to support it, and uh, thought this, this would be a lot harder if I had some other new project cooking. But I I like that you are sharing these projects with your son and daughter. Mm -hmm. They're both 
very smart, wonderful humans. I also like have side projects growing with my wife, Erica, like she's the driving force behind the penny press hundred percent. Like I just, I'm hundred percent like a supporting role in that. But yeah, it's, it's lovely that as um, the kids have grown, they are these creative forces of their own. And I like, I love working on projects with them. What do you like about projects that you do for yourself? And what do you like about projects that you do collaboratively? So much of my real work is collaborative. It's that it's fun to then have a break or a change of pace where you're doing something where you're the only participant. So I think that's kind of the most fun. And then you're, you know, you get to work on your timeline. You don't feel like you're late or early with anything. You're not waiting on a partner. It's, it's all driven yourself. I think that's the, the fun part. Collaborative stuff is, of course, like other people can do more work and they have better ideas than you do. And you get the ideas that make you have better ideas together. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of fun to do it both ways. Okay, so for our audience, um, I would love you to make some recommendations. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. What is something that our audience should read? Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Devon is so fun. It's uh, it's a story across a long time span about a, a creative partnership, two friends who make video games. Uh, and it's it's both got that fun, like two young, sharp people at college working on something ambitious. And then a kind of uh, you get you get some snapshots through their uh, working life together. But it really, I think Robin Sloan described it as a novel about work. But it's, it's fun. It's a page turner. And I wanted to put it down and go start an ambitious project with my friends. Oh. Like, that's the vibe it gives. It's just super inspirational. Um, yes. It's, yeah, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. What is something that our audience should listen to? Ooh, okay. I've been very into a band called Sweeping Promises. They're uh, fairly small, but they've got a, like a label deal with sub pop. Um, it's this kind of lo-fi pop punk thing. It's really fun. I got to go to like an album release party a few months ago, and it's just been on on repeat for me. Sweeping promises. And what is something our audience should do? Should do. I have been recommending to people that everyone should try stone carving. <laughs> okay. I don't know what, you know yes. what, I should have gone into that with no expectations, but I did. Um, I took a couple of stone carving classes and uh, my wife says this is like the dorkiest thing that I do, but I find it really uh, compelling and really interesting to like apply a little force and time at a stone and then have it like sort of look like something when you're done. And stone carving is like a human art form that's been around for a very long time. But when I see it in the museum, I just kind of look at it with like an empty brain and think, cool, how'd they do that? But it's really not super complicated. I've never made anything good. Um, <laughs> but like you could sign up for a class in probably every city of an intro stone carving class and they'll give you, you know, a hammer and a chisel and a rock and you can kind of like change its shape. And I think it's super fun to do <laughs> and you get dirty, but not that dirty. That's, it's perfect. Yeah. Beautiful. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today for this bonus episode. We're so glad that we got to do this. Oh, my pleasure. Thank and you in so person. much. Yeah. Sorry for the audio. <laughs> There's a whole conference happening in this library that I didn't know about. So if you hear background noise, it's not because Tal did a bad job. It's because of that. <laughs> uh, all this to say, uh, if you if 
people want to know what your next project is, mm. what you're doing next, or where we could find you uh, touring with Dracula Daily, the book. Yes. Where should they go? Too many places. Um, <laughs> the the easiest and most consistent is I have a separate email newsletter for Studio Kirkland, which is kind of our house brand that covers the weird projects that we do as a family. Uh, so that's studiokirkland.substack.com, but there's also studiokirkland.com. My personal website has a bunch of stuff. It, one of those is going to cut it. Yeah. You got it. Yep. Links in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great. Thank you all for joining us for this special bonus episode. This has been an interview with Matt Kirkland, Dracula Daily Instigator. Check out all of his projects at mattkirkland.com. We'd also like to give a special thanks to the Boulder Public Library for providing a room for Hannah and Matt to record in. And I'm sure a very good conference as well. This bonus episode was made possible by our crowdfund supporters. It featured editing by Tal Manier and was produced by Ella Watts and Pacific S. Obadiah, with executive producers Stephen Indrasano, Tal Manier, and Hannah Wright. It has been, as always, a Bloody FM production. Given the number of books, oh no. Oh no, you didn't hear that. That was nothing. <laughs> I'll cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs>